Welcome to the Nerd Normie Podcast. I'm a big film nerd, Everett. And I'm Emerald, and I'm engaged to a nerd. On this week's episode, we'll be covering two movies. First up, we have Poor Things, directed by my favorite director, Yorgos Lanthimos. And Anyone But You, directed by Will Gluck. For both these movies, we will do non-spoilers and then spoilers. There will be time codes down in the description below if you want to jump around. Let's get into it. This is Bella. Bye, bye. Bella, this is Mr. McCandles. Hello, Bella. Poor Things is the latest movie from my favorite director, Yorgos Lanthimos, a screenplay by Tony McNamara. They collaborated previously on The Favorite. Uh, and it stars Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, and Rami Youssef. Uh, this is a very weird movie from a very weird director, which is why I love it. It's the only movie so far that I've seen of his that I've enjoyed, really. The other ones, I think, are fine. <laughs> not great. <laughs> yeah, I think even his movies that are not my favorites of his are all at least interesting. He yeah. always makes interesting and weird movies uh and this is no exception yeah, it might is... be one of his weirdest yet um i don't really know how to describe this without spoilers so i'm gonna read the imdb description if you count that as a spoiler don't listen to the next 10 seconds uh the incredible tale about the fantastical evolution of bella baxter a young woman brought back to life by the brilliant and un- unorthodox scientist dr godwin baxter so yeah i guess it's I mean, it's nothing like Frankenstein, but it it kind of, I guess, it's like the only place to really give you a starting point. If Frankenstein, Barbie, and the lobster had a kid, it would be this movie. I don't really see the lobster in this one. Well, I guess in the weird, fantastical world that it's set in. But... A weird alternate reality with the strange camera angles and interesting way of presenting dialogue and... Yeah. way people interact with each other is not at all traditional. Yeah, and um, for this, I would say it's probably the strongest acting performance I've seen from Emma Stone before. She's great in it. She, yeah. The way she evolves the character is so interesting, and she plays it so well. And Mark Ruffalo is so funny. <laughs> His comedic timing is truly amazing in this movie. It is really, really strong. Um, I think as a, if you know Yorgos Lanthimos, particularly his work on The Favorite, you'll know he has become obsessed with fisheye lenses, and that is no exception here. There are some really weird shots that are super wide, um, or like the entire outside of the frame is black, um, and there's just a little bit going on in the middle. And unlike a lot of movies, all of it feels very intentional. The set design is intentional. When they do use CGI, it's intentional. And, you know, I just... This is the type of movie... This is what Boa Afraid thought it was. A very weird, out-there, fantastical journey that takes unexpected turns and does crazy things that challenge an audience. However, Boa's Afraid is not as strong and does not come together like this movie does. This movie builds on itself and the ending is just as satisfying as the enjoyable beginning to the film, I found. Yeah, it's it's definitely a weird, odd world 
with Frankenstein Barbie. Like, it's the message <laughs> of Barbie with the world of Frankenstein, but not really. It's just highly, I would highly recommend just seeing it, especially in theaters, because a lot of the things that they do are so, like, artistic and detailed that seeing it on the big screen, normally I recommend a lot of movies you wait till streaming, but this one, it's just so beautiful up on the big screen. Yeah, it is a, a visually stunning if not unorthodox movie. Um, I think Willem Dafoe and Remy Youssef are kind of the two, they start the movie and then they're kind of side characters until the end. And they're not, you know, the most interesting characters. It really is the Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo show here that carries this movie. Um, not that that's a bad thing, uh, but if you're going in hoping for a really big Willem Dafoe performance, he's good in it. Of course he is, but he's not... He's not the, the main center. character, yeah. Yeah. Um, I also will say, as much as we say this is, you know, like Barbie, uh, do not go with your family. <laughs> <laughs> it's There's a definite, definite sexual content warning on yeah, this one. This and... movie earns its R rating and pushes that boundary <laughs> for what Western cinema will, will allow on screen. Um, they, yeah, the, it is a important and central concept to this movie uh, it would definitely not be the same movie without it um, and so it's it's not one of those that they just keep throwing in sex scenes for the sake of having them or you know whatever like producers just saying oh we'll make them take their shirt off that'll make the scene better no they're all very intentional and part of the story and the world and what um the screenwriter and Yorgos Lanthimos are like trying to convey to you. Um, that being said, they're very graphic and frequent. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's kind of it for. That's as for much now. as we can really <laughs> say without spoilers. Yeah. So. So yeah, go see it for yourself. All right, spoilers for poor things. Um. So yeah, Emma Stone, her character, commits suicide right at the start of the film. Um, and then you kind of find out, though it's a little bit obvious, it's more directly revealed to the characters later, um, but she is reanimated by eccentric doctor and surgeon and experimental medicine guy, uh, played by Willem Dafoe, Godwin, and he goes by God. <laughs> um, he has taken, she was pregnant when she jumped, uh, and he has taken the living brain of the baby and put it into the dying body of her mother and so she has a child's brain at the start and is just barely grasping speech by the time the movie kind of kicks off um surrounded in this weird house are you know dogs with duck heads and just weird crazy things that the surgeon has been able to do um and he is covered in scars and heavily disfigured uh, he then enlists Remy Youssef, who is a great admirer of his work, to come and monitor Emma Stone's progress, <laughs> I guess, as an experiment. Um, and they both grow quite attached to her. Um, and she's, you know, learning to speak and control her motor functions and understand the world a bit better, though she's never allowed outside. And Remy Youssef, in classic fashion, falls in love with her. And I thought this movie was going to be about how 
men fall in love with people who act like they like a girl who acts like a child and they like the fact that she's young and pretty and not knowledgeable enough to say no to things or understand the world as it is yeah but in reality he did fall in love with her because she was pretty but he also fell in love with her when she was screaming and throwing plates and having tantrums and whatever because he found it so fascinating to watch her learn um and yeah then she decides she doesn't want to be stuck in the house anymore and mark ruffalo just thinks she's hot so they kind of run away together to start after some... she gets engaged to rami youssef yeah um, willem dafoe kind of instigates that engagement and they get engaged and they're going to be married and then mark ruffalo comes to sign some papers he's like a lawyer or something um and whisks her away to lisbon and then chaos ensues as she's now probably mentally 12 Mm, she's probably a little bit more yeah probably like around 15 mentally but basically you know she discovers that she enjoys having sex basically and he thinks oh how fun how neat i have a woman with no inhibitions and no filter who just wants to have sex all the time i'm going to take her with me you know everywhere and he makes a point of telling her you know don't fall in love with me i'm not a guy who commits whatever and she's like okay (laughs) because she is there to explore the world and yeah, she's constantly going off on these adventures and he's getting more and more stressed out being like, you know, where are you going? Why aren't you staying with me? Like, I love you, all this stuff. Like, trying to lock her down and keep her trapped, much like her god and (laughs) her fiancé did. Like, everyone she knows meets her and then tries to trap her. Yeah, and so they, like, they end up going, he has some influential friends or whatever, and they go out to dinner and she's acting like a child shocker of all shocks and just like doesn't want to be there and isn't having fun so she's like okay i'm gonna leave and just like kind of being rude or whatever which again she's like like teenager with no this is her first social experience and so he pulls her aside he's like you can only say these things and of course that immediately backfires on him um and so they kind of just progress in this like They're enjoying the sexual side of the relationship, but very quickly realizing for her, she's like, that's great because I can go off and adventure all day and then come home and have sex. Great. And for him, he's wanting now that next step in the relationship, despite that not being the agreement at the start and getting mad that she doesn't understand that he's changed his mind and therefore she should just go along with it. Yeah, it's just her line where she says, so you wish to marry me or kill me is kind of the message of the movie. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> men like women when they're wild and crazy and make their own choices up until that choice goes against something they want to do or the choice goes with her being with another man, even though they never said they were an exclusive relationship and he just wants her to do exactly what he wants to do whenever he wants to do it yeah and at like the start of the movie he's bragging that he's been with hundreds of women and never stays with one person for too long and then she's like oh okay so that's what we do and does that and then he's like wait whoa whoa that's not how this works only i can do that you can't because you're a woman uh so he kidnaps her and they go on a boat um and they are at sea for a while and again things 
aren't going well. She meets an older woman and a cynic, and they're quite charming and a very fun comedic portion of the movie, um, though the cynic kind of starts to introduce her to the wider world and the tragedies that are out there and that the world isn't all having a rich boyfriend who will whisk you around the world and pay for your fancy dinners and have sex with you whenever you want. It's she's now starting to kind of understand, oh, there's there's more out here. They dock at a at a city and it's there is like a humanitarian crisis and people being abused and left in poverty and children dying. And she's starting to kind of grasp that side of things yeah and the way they do that like artistically is really interesting because like it is starving dying babies down beneath and then a staircase that you can't go down like she's stuck up at the top wanting to help but can't quite reach the people that she's trying to get to uh, so her solution is to steal all of Mark Ruffalo's money and give it to a random man and be like, yeah, you can give this to the poor people. And the random man's like, sure, sure I can. But the audience very clearly knows that he's going to keep the money. But she has this, you know, image of the world where she's like, no, no one would do that. That's yeah. awful. <laughs> yeah. She, you know sees people in need and says oh if i give them this money that will help them so why would that guy not see it that way um whereas very clearly he and his friend kind of wink and nod at the camera more or less and it's very clear that they're just going to keep it for themselves so again mark ruffalo gets really upset and is mad at her and they get kicked off at the next port which happens to be in france and they find their way to paris uh and so in paris they're destitute and without money and living on the street and Mark Ruffalo's really mad and grumpy about everything that's going on and um, Emma Stone's like well you know other people survive when they live on the street like not everybody is wealthy surely there's a way to do this and survive uh, and she kind of wanders the city for a minute and comes across a brothel uh, and exchanges an hour's work there for some money and brings back food and Mark Ruffalo is all excited and then when he realizes how she um, was able to pay for it he has a temper tantrum because of course he does uh, and she is like I, again I don't get this what what's so wrong like this is everything you've taught me that I'm doing and then this time I made money off of it to help us and so then she reveals that um Willem Dafoe had given her money way back at the start and she pulls it out and Mark Ruffalo just takes it and runs off and decides to go off on his own. So she works at the brothel for a while. Yeah, and she enjoys it because she can go learn about the world and do adventures and study and then have sex when she wants to and make money. Yeah, and she <laughs> makes a friend there and they become very close and have a good bond. Um, there's some um, just like comedic moments in which men ask for and do really weird things and then there's also some darker moments where like a a guy brings his two very young children which i i get the point of the scene it's a little i i don't like when children are involved and they were not involved in any way they're brought into the room and then all of the shots are when the father and Emma Stone are doing anything intimate are just on them. It's not like they're framed together. So they probably, you know, don't have 10 year olds standing around on set while the actors are doing intimate scenes. But they're trying to give you that vibe. Anyway, the point of the scene, though, being that this father's coming in and teaching 
all the wrong things to his sons. Yeah, he's being like, oh, this is what you should be doing. And she's like, no, that's not right. Women (laughs) don't like that. Don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. And so there's kind of a almost montage moment of her time there as she's learning and experiencing things about the world. And then she kind of decides or she gets a letter. Oh, yeah. She gets a letter that the doctor God is dying and she needs to go home. So she goes home. Yeah. And Rami Youssef, to his credit, for, like, I shouldn't say forgives her. I guess kind of forgives her because she runs away after getting engaged. But she had no concept, really, of what an engagement is. Yeah. And like, so yeah, he, he, just, he accepts it and goes, yeah. He's had, like, you had to learn. You had to be who you are. She's like, you're not mad that I worked in a brothel? He's like, no. Like, yeah. you did what you, you did. What you did. Yep. And so he still loves her for her. Um, and then he go all the way and they're at the altar and then the guy who was married to her when she committed suicide before all of this shows up and while i really enjoyed some of this part of the movie i also think this was and again it's not that it's like not important to the story and it deserves to be there but it also kind of just suddenly happens he's not really in the movie at all and then all of a sudden she just gets pulled into this full other scenario And again, they wanted to commentate this guy views her as like property and he's really cruel to all his servants and everything and wants to keep just keeping her as a prisoner. And and it's kind of just making the point that like the reason she killed herself was to not bring a baby into a world where she is trapped and around violence. And now she's like a person who has learned all about this stuff and has escaped being trapped and has learned you know to be alive and has learned about cruelty and all of that but in a safe way where she's not trapped with it so it's like (laughs) it makes sense but yeah it was a little long yeah yeah it just kind of starts and then the movie just completely throws the handbrake on everything else outside of emma stone and just focuses in for 20 30 minutes on her in this moment and then pulls that handbrake back off and everything comes back together when she and she's gonna be a doctor and she saves her little prostitute friend and they all live happily ever after and she turns the evil she (laughs) she learns to do the brain transfer experiment and she takes a goat's brain and puts it in her former husband's uh head which was really funny um but yeah that is poor things a very weird quirky eccentric but amazing movie what would you rate it? I will give this a 9 out of 10. I think I'm around there too, a 9 out of 10 for me. Yeah, as I mentioned, there's just like a couple moments where it either dragged a little or just diverted from what kind of felt like the normal flow of the movie, um, but it's still yet another really strong entry into Lanthimos's filmography. And then again, I gave Barbie a 9 out of 10 when we watched that, and now for me, that one's probably a 10 out of 10, so maybe I just have to let it marinate and rewatch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go. That is Poor Things. I am Bella Baxter, and there is a world to enjoy, circumnavigate. It is the goal of all to progress, grow. A woman plotting her course to freedom. How delightful. All right, for my pick this week, I chose Anyone But You, the new romantic comedy starring Glenn Powell and Sidney Sweeney, directed by Will Gluck. Um, And it's fine. I mean, (laughs) we both really liked the script. We thought it was really funny. Like, 
the script was at least. The storyline was good and solid, but the acting was all very just B-tier boring acting a little bit. And in my opinion, I thought Sidney Sweeney and Glenn Powell had absolutely no chemistry together whatsoever. I don't think it was that bad in terms of like their quote-unquote chemistry. I also, I think part of what it is, is one of the things we got drilled into us at film school was chemistry is a myth, and it has nothing to do with the two like actors actually having like a spark between them or a connection that allows this great performance. It's a lot of other things, including their personal acting ability, and that's why some actors live in this rom-com genre and dominate it because they seem to have chemistry with everyone they star with. Uh, and then people like Glenn Powell and Sidney Sweeney probably should stick to other roles because they're both just a little awkward and not great at the timing of the comedy but there were moments they look at each other and their face reads I'm in love with this person and that's technically acting but I just don't think they're ever I don't know if there's anyone out there you could put opposite them that would show chemistry and that to me is not then a lack of a connection between the actors like they show some almost like behind the scenes stuff at the end and they're genuinely like having a great time and smiling and laughing and they seem then in that last moment on the in the like credits moment not really a spoiler but there's behind the scenes of them on the shoot kind of um and they seem to have more of a genuine connection than they ever do in the movie and to me that means either they weren't like confident in their characters and their time on set or the director wasn't able to let them express themselves. Yeah, and that definitely could be the case because like in their interviews outside of the movie, they have a lot of chemistry, which has (laughs) sparked a lot of rumors. But in the actual movie, it's just so flat. And it sucks because like, I always say I really like Sydney Sweeney as an actor because in Euphoria, I feel like her and Zendaya both had like the strongest performances. And hers is very dramatic and very crazy and weird. And maybe it's just that she can only play drama. But oh my goodness, this whole movie, she was so monotone and flat that every single joke just didn't hit because she couldn't. The joke was funny. Sydney Sweeney was not. And same for, like, Glenn Powell, same for most of the supporting cast. Yeah, and all the supporting cast were, like, actors I haven't really seen in anything else, and I I've feel like... I've seen them in, like, one or two TV shows, maybe, where they played a supporting role for an episode. And there's a reason <laughs> for that. Like, everyone just fell a little flat. The people who I think played the best were the... Because they're going to a wedding in this. It's in the trailer. Were the two people whose wedding it was. I think they were cute together. And only slightly believable. Where everyone else was not believable. As the character (laughs) they were playing. Yeah. Which, yeah, again, is kind of a shame. The script is pretty strong. And I still, despite that, found myself laughing quite a bit. The guy in the row next to us was losing his mind. Yeah, he, he thought was it was so funny. He was slapping, like Stomping crying. his feet, like <laughs> making so much noise because he thought every joke was the funniest thing he's ever heard in his entire existence. I don't think I've ever laughed that hard at anything. Which bothered Everett because he hates fun. But <laughs> <laughs> it was it was, it was was cute. But yeah, like the story is there. It follows um, Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell as, Powell, as we said. And... Um, 
This is all in the description of the movie. They go on one really incredible, amazing date. And then they kind of have a misunderstanding and become enemies. And then have to kind of pretend to get along for the sake of the wedding weekend. And that's that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it just... It really... I wonder what would have happened had this been potentially different actors but probably because again across the board everyone was so poor a different different director director. i've never heard of will gluck um i apologize to him as i have never been able to make a feature film but i just the timing was off and off all the performances came across flat there was nothing particularly astounding about any of the visual choices the script was the strongest part, but I'm pretty sure he didn't write it. Um, and so it's just, yeah. Okay, sorry. He co-wrote it, so he did maybe stick to writing. <laughs> but the story was by Ilana Wolpert. Yes, and she co-wrote with Will Gluck. Um, and so good on him for trying his hand and attempting this movie but i just it did not come together for me yeah okay we just did a quick google uh he has directed easy a um which is one of my favorite comedies i really love that one but that one also wasn't written by him so i don't know maybe that one just had a really great script He also did Friends with Benefits and the remake of Annie. So he has done quite a few things, but maybe they just didn't have, I don't know, time or something because this was this was rough. Yeah. I mean, it's also been 13 years since EZA. So, I mean, since then he did the remake of Annie and some Peter Rabbit movies. So clearly, I don't know. I just maybe stick to the scripts and let somebody else take the reins or find a new casting director to work with something. But yeah, this one just didn't come together at all. Okay, going into spoilers for anyone but you, this follows uh, Sydney Sweeney. Uh, She goes into a coffee shop to use the bathroom and they tell her that she has to buy something in order to do it. But when she tries, they tell her to get in the back of this really, really long line. Uh, But luckily, Glenn Powell's character overhears and pretends that she's his wife so that she can just get in line with him and get the bathroom key and whatever. And, you know, she accidentally sprays water on her pants. So it looks like she peed her pants and then has to dry it with the hand. It's very classic cliche, romantic comedy things happening, but it's charming, Um, but it's charming and it's cute. I would say (laughs) that the beginning scene is probably the strongest of the whole movie for me. Yeah. Um, their meet cute is very meet cute. Uh, they d- then decide to go on a date, which then continues and continues and continues, and they talk all night, and then she ends up falling asleep on the couch with him, and they really just have a connection. Um, and then in the morning, she kind of freaks out because she's been in a relationship with the same guy her entire life, basically a family friend, and they had broken up recently so she hadn't ever really dated anyone else and she wasn't sure what to do so she just steps outside to call her sister and then be like you know 
oh my god, this was the best date ever. But by the time she gets off the phone to go back, um, Glenn Powell's roommate is there and he's under the impression that she had snuck out. So Glenn Powell's like telling his roommate that he's glad she left trying to save some pride so that he's not as embarrassed because he was really hurt that she snuck out. Um, And she overhears this. So she thinks that he actually didn't have a good time and hates her. And then they have a few more run-ins because Sydney Sweeney's character's sister ends up meeting and starting to date Glenn Powell's roommate's sister. And so, um, yeah, so they have a few more run-ins. They fight, they bicker, but there's still sparks behind the bickering or something, according to all the other characters, but it doesn't, it kind of just is fine. And then um, the sisters, uh, Sydney Sweeney's sister and the roommate's sister end up getting married. And so obviously Sydney Sweeney is going to the wedding, as is Glenn Powell, and it's in, or not Hawaii, I'm so sorry, Australia. And um, yeah, so they end up on the same flight and just a lot of them fighting and starting to ruin the wedding weekend. So everyone decides to try and do a ploy to set them up so that they're, they actually are in love, even though they bicker and correct all of the miscommunication that happened to get them to this point. Um, and they realize that's what everyone's doing because they do it in a stupid, poor acting way. Um, Which is the joke in this instance. Yeah. But And so then they just decide that they're going to pretend to be in love to, yeah, I don't know, make his ex who's some, for some reason, I guess she's their cousin at the wedding and her ex is also there for some reason because the parents parents. invite him um, to make both of them kind of, yeah, jealous, but also not. And they always still fight, but then they actually fall in love for a minute but then there's another miscommunication, and then they're not in love, and then they are in love, and that's the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, as my sister would always say, Hallmark movies and things like this could always just be solved if they just had a conversation and it drives her insane. And while it didn't overly bother me, that is the weakest part of this movie, is that every time it is just the most simple, like, oh, hey, I'm sorry, this is what happened. Boom. Done. Yeah. Conversation over. Um, but the best part of this movie is that it's reviving the greatest song ever <laughs> written, unwritten by Natasha Bedingfield, <laughs> which plays 16 times in this movie. And I love every to better effect. <laughs> yeah, I loved every single moment that it was playing. So I will give it that credit. That was really funny. And again, the script, very, very funny. It was just the acting that fell flat. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is like. If you're looking for a rom-com across Christmas break or whatever, or it's probably going to be on streaming by Valentine's Day, you could watch a lot worse than this. If you're looking for something new that no one, that, like you haven't seen yet, give it a chance. It's reasonably funny, and it's not a waste of your time. That being said, this is not going to be the greatest rom-com of the 2020s. Like Most people will probably forget this ever came out. Um and that's just where it sits as just kind of this middling movie that is so what would you rate it (laughs) um i would probably give this one a five 
or maybe a six. A five for the actual movie, a six for what it could have been. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give it a a six outright because it was very average, but I did laugh more than I thought I would. And so it's just a bit better than your average middle-of-the-road movie. I would not be upset if I had to watch this again. I agree with that, yeah. But I'm not going to seek it out either. So, six for me. Are they doing Titanic? They're gone. Show's over. Oh my god. All right. Thank you for listening to our episode this week. Make sure you tune in every Monday, or in this case, Tuesday, due to the holiday, for a new episode. And follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Nerd and Normie. And if you're on YouTube, like and subscribe. And if you're on audio platform, leave us a five star review. It really helps us out. Thank, thank you. you.